Well, good morning. Good morning, and I know there's a lot of people joining us online this morning, and those across the hall in traditions. Glad you're with us this morning. We are going to continue our journey through the Word, uh, discovering what we sang about this morning. You know, we sang some pretty interesting things, right? And if you're in church for the first time, you're thinking like, Holy Ghost, what does that mean? And pour out your spirit, what does that mean? And that's really um, a, con- uh, a considerable part of the New Testament is written to help human beings who lost touch with God rediscover how to walk in relationship with God. And the personal way that we walk with God is through his spirit that scripture uses the term poured out, that he poured out his spirit on people. And so after Jesus went to the cross for the, for the reason of taking the just punishment of God on human sin so that we didn't have to take it ourselves, Jesus was risen from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the barrier of our sin was removed between us and God. Everybody tracking with me? That was important to God. It wasn't important to us until we recognize that we are failing at life without God, and then we need him, but we can't get to him unless Jesus did what he did on the cross. And then Jesus rose from the dead and he said, hey, the same spirit that rose me from the dead, my father in heaven is going to pour out on you so that you can walk in relationship with him again. And so these last couple of weeks, we've been kind of walking through the word, looking at what is that relationship supposed to look like? Because can I tell you something? If you've been in church a long time and you don't have a daily personal relationship with God marked by conversation, marked by a sense of his presence, marked by a a sense that you are never alone, but you are always in one way or another with God, then you are missing out on what Jesus died on the cross for. Yes, he wants to spend an eternity in heaven with you, but why wait until you're done with this life? He wants to live this life right alongside you, and he does that through the Holy Spirit. And so if you haven't looked at those, last, at those messages, if you missed the last couple of weeks, can I just encourage you? I don't do this about all, of the, all the sermons I preach because they're not all that good. But can I encourage you to, and I'm not even sure those are that good either, but can I encourage you to go back and listen to them because I think the scriptures and the content in them is very good and is important to us living the lives and being the people and being the community that God has called us to be. I think that the Lord, I feel the Lord has called me in this month of January to lay a foundation for us to experience more deeply the relationship and power of the Holy Spirit because we're gonna need it. And I don't know why we're gonna need it. I think that some of of us in this community, we've experienced a a much more up-close and personal uh, reality of COVID in the last few weeks in our community than we have in the previous couple of years. I think moments like that remind us that we need more than what we have on our own. But there's a whole world of brokenness out there that whether it reminds us individually or corporately, we come face to face with the fact that we don't have what it takes. Have you ever had that moment in life? You're like, I am not enough for this one. And the Holy Spirit comes to say, but I am, and I'm right here with you. Let's do this together. That's God's heart is to do life together with us. And so to sum up some of the things that we did talk about In those messages, I want you to remember that the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father to lead you just like Jesus led his disciples. And that happened in a personal relationship marked with love and truth and power. 
Now, I want you to think about that picture of Jesus walking with his disciples over a three-year process, teaching them how to live, not as the culture that they were born in taught them to live, but as the culture of the kingdom called them to live. And Jesus was saying, no, not quite, don't do it this way, do it like this way. Oh, it's not quite like this, it's like this. And so Jesus led them in this love that met the longing of their souls. And the Holy Spirit wants to meet the longing of your souls in that, that place of love. Jesus led them in truth that was authoritative truth. It was truth that they could build their lives on. It was truth that when they didn't have all the answers, they could lean into what Jesus had taught them and it would get them through the different situations in their life. We all need that kind of truth. And where they fell short, and we see situations where they faced, uh, they faced governmental authorities that they had no power against in, in very oppressive situations. They faced sickness and disease that as a society they had no power against. They faced demonic forces that they could see but did not understand. And in those moments where they were outmatched, Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit and suddenly they were not outmatched, they were more than conquerors. Excuse me, they were more than conquerors, and that's the Lord's desire for you and I. Now, being more than a conqueror implies that you're living life in a battlefield, and I believe that we are. And most of us spend most of our lives trying to find ways to shelter ourselves from the battle all around us. And as a society, we've done a pretty good job of that but the shelter eventually has cracks in it. And we come again to that reality that we need more than what we have on our own. We need more love than what other people can give us. We need more truth than what society around us offers and we definitely need more power than is at the disposal of human beings at their best, don't we? And so the Holy Spirit comes to offer those things to us in relationship. And just like Jesus led his disciples, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you to a life of flourishing. And he wants to empower you to produce that flourishing in the world around you. That is what the Holy Spirit, he wants to lead you to be who you're called to be and to do what you are called to do. And, and again, as we've talked about, you cannot do that without him. And I'm sorry, I know there's some very competent, very, very capable, very independent, talented, intelligent, sharp people in this room, but we were not created to be successful at life all on our own. We were created to be in this symbiotic relationship with God, a personal relationship where he leads and we follow, where there's this side-by-side, -side, one arm around your shoulders, walking alongside God through this life, and he leads you towards purpose and satisfaction, and that is the flourishing life, not a perfect shelter from the brokenness of this world, not having all of our immediate desires and instant gratifications met, but walking in that satisfying relationship to accomplish purpose that will bear fruit for eternity. That's a flourishing life. And by the way, that's what God wants to use you, not just give it to you, but use you to bring that flourishing to people all over your community, people that you know. And that's why Sound Life Church exists, to help people flourish through knowing Jesus. And by the way, so do you. Your greatest purpose in life, the greatest meaning you will find in life is in your gifts and talents, your career, your personality, your relationships, living out that purpose that you exist 
to flourish and bring flourishing, and that will happen through knowing Jesus, knowing what he did for you on the cross, and knowing the overflow of his resurrection through relationship with the Holy Spirit each day. And we need that. And by the way, your community needs that. Your kids, your coworkers, your parents, your neighbors, your friends, the people that you walk by at the grocery store, the people that you are seeing post on social media, they need you to be a flourishing person that can point them towards flourishing in Jesus. And it's in the human soul to want to do good for fellow man. It's part of the image of God placed inside of us that healthy human beings want to do something good for someone else in their lives. And we see evidence of that individually and in a parent taking good care of their child. We see that corporately and people doing humanitarian effort around the world. And those are all wonderful things. But have you noticed that our best human efforts still fall short of bringing total human flourishing? You know, that my best efforts as a parent, I still see that I'm not enough to lead my children to a place where they have a healthy soul, not just a thriving mind and body. And the same is true of our corporate efforts, that we can, we can give and we can go and we can serve and we can do all those things, and we are called to. But we're called to do it side by side with the Holy Spirit because... When we face the brokenness of humanity, we are outmatched on our own. But we are not outmatched when we are side by side with the Holy Spirit. And that is his desire for us, that only by partnering with the life-giving Spirit of God are we able to give life to a dying world. It's only by partnership with him. It's only by staying in step with him. It's only by walking with him that we can bring life to a world that is dying around us. And I just have to say, we need to stop playing defense all the time. We need to stop drawing in the shelter. We need to stop kind of battening down the hatches. We need to stop taking care of what's mine and what's ours. And we need to live on the offensive against brokenness in the world. And that is what Jesus taught his disciples to do. Stop hiding behind a career and begin to use the, the skills that you learned in that career to bring flourishing to people around you. So he took fishermen and he made them fishers of men. He said, stop hiding behind the brokenness of humanity. Stop hiding behind your sins. Stop hiding behind your incomplete families and relationships. Stop hiding behind the brokenness of this world. Stop hiding because there are real demonic forces out there and step on the offensive to bring flourishing to a dying world. And that is what Jesus did. And that's what his disciples learned to do. And that is what his church has been called to do for a couple thousand years now. And where the church has gotten it, flourishing has happened. And where the church has gotten it, life has come. And where the church has gotten it, life has existed both now and for eternity. Because that's what Jesus does by his spirit. And so we talked about these aspects of the Holy Spirit, and the first one is that you walk in relationship with him, that relationship where he leads and you follow. Without that relationship, without the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life, none of the other stuff should be applied. Because power without leadership from the Holy Spirit is a dangerous thing in human hands. 
We see that in all sorts of ways. But power under the leading of the Holy Spirit is actually key to bringing flourishing. So we've talked about the Holy Spirit leading us through his conviction of our sin. And if you know, I mean, conviction's scary until you experience it from God. But when you feel the, the gentle conviction of God saying, Caleb, don't do that. That's not good for you. It's not good for us. Stop living that way. You're drowning yourself. And you sense the Holy Spirit leading you towards what is truly life. It's a beautiful feeling. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead you by convicting you of those things and setting you free from them. He leads us through wisdom in the difficult moments of life where it's not right or wrong. It's just straight up confusing. He leads us by encouraging us as we all need it, encouraging us by reminding us of the promises of his word and how they apply to us today. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us in those ways. But the empowerment part sometimes makes us nervous. You ever felt nervous about the empowerment part of God, about when people start talking about the Holy Spirit, Christians get nervous because we're like, oh man, it's about to get weird around here. You know, somebody's watching online on Facebook right now, and they're like, oh, one of those weird churches. And unfortunately, sometimes people in the name of the Holy Spirit do some really weird things that weren't the Holy Spirit's fault. They're just weird people's fault. And occasionally, the Holy Spirit does call us to do something weird to bring great flourishing to people around us, but the test is in the fruit, not in the weirdness, right? The test is in the results, not in the the practice that gets there, the rituals that get you. And I've found that the vast majority of the time, the Holy Spirit wants to do supernatural things, and I'm the last one to realize it was supernatural because it feels so natural when you're in relationship with him. And we get nervous about that, but I'm, I was thinking as I was preparing this message about a time when I really saw this dynamic in play. When I was a senior in high school, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip with, uh, with my church, and I would just say, um, you know, one of the best things for a teenager or a young adult to do is to go on a mission trip. Yes, it's frightening. Yes, my mom probably thought she was going to, like, lose me to, a, to a, a third world country, and I would never be seen again, you know, that I'd be gone in the jungle or wherever, and you know what it did? It just rocked my world. It grew me up in about two weeks, how I probably should have done over the past four years prior, and it just showed me perspective beyond my own little world. And then this mission trip to, to um, somewhere in Central America, it was in a post-war nation. There was a lot of struggle, a lot of poverty, all sorts of things going wrong there. And we went to partner with some pastors there who were planting churches in these villages of refugees. And I had never seen poverty and sickness and desperation like I saw on that trip. And do you know what almost surprised me is that when we shared the love and the truth of Jesus Christ, it actually brought hope to what I perceived as a very hopeless community. It actually gave hope that there was a better life than the one they were experiencing. It gave hope that there was a better form of leadership in eternity than the one that they were experiencing in their nation at that moment. It gave hope in all sorts of ways, but I still couldn't help but feel like, gosh, Lord, that's great that heaven's intact for them, but so much here is so broken. But then I saw something else happen, that after the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus would be shared, and people would respond in faith and say, God, yes, it's not just the world that has sinned, I've sinned, I need forgiveness, I need healing, I need broke, my broken stuff fixed, that then 
we would pray for people. People with sicknesses that I've never seen before and never seen since. And do you know what was amazing to me? The simple people praying over them. There were people healed miraculously. Not all of them, but there were people who were bent over, had these back issues since childhood, and they were able to stand up straight and walk again. It wasn't because anybody was doing anything crazy. It was the same way I pray for people now. I saw people that, that came with visible skin illnesses, that those disappeared in that time. I saw other miracles happen and things that, that had been curses from witch doctors and stuff like that that were, were changed and the whole community changed. And I went back three times over the next couple years of my life and saw transformation. And I thought, wow, God, you did have a plan, not just for their eternity, but for their present. That I saw God work in what we would call supernatural ways. And I saw that God met in his power what he was leading them towards in eternity. Now, in our culture, we don't like mystical things. We like mathematical things. We like things that can be proven scientifically. We like those things, and yet, I think our culture is waking up more and more to the fact that there is a spiritual part of reality that cannot simply be explained mathematically or scientifically. That, there are, that human beings are soul and spirit more than they are just flesh and mind. And that the spiritual reality around us means that there is another part of life that we can tap into through the help of the Holy Spirit that helps us live life to the fullest and helps those around us live life to the fullest. Now, in other cultures that now I've, I've gotten to travel in, in a lot of different places in similar, on similar trips, where they don't have challenges with the mystical, it's, this is not the hard part for them. Understanding the work of the Holy Spirit is not, they're like, oh, there's actually a good spirit that loves me, I'll take that one. Instead of all the other things that they've experienced spiritually that do damage to them. Here in the United States, it is no secret theologically, it is no secret spiritually, this is common knowledge amongst uh, spiritual leaders in our nation that our lack of openness to the mystical makes us more susceptible to the demonic and less open to the spirit of God. That we are victims of spiritual forces we do not see and we have no power against them because we don't access the spirit of God that Jesus came to give us. And again, I come back to the fact that our minds, there is this fear in our minds that the Holy Spirit will make us do something that we don't wanna do. You ever felt that feeling? You're like, God, you're gonna make me do something. Here's the interesting thing about God. He could make you, and he never does. In fact, there are very few moments in Scripture where God really kind of makes somebody do something. That's very rare. The vast majority of the time he says, hey, it's here if you want it. I'll even teach you how to, I'll teach you how to walk it out. I'll bless you if you walk it out. I'm not going to force it on you. And that is absolutely the way the Spirit of God operates. He does not operate as some tool waiting to be picked up. He is a person that wants to walk with us and empower us, but we have to lean into him. We have to make songs like we sang this morning, not just a song, we have to make them a heartfelt prayer. We have to make them the cry of our hearts and say, God, I actually, I actually want you more than I want my own comfort. I actually want you and your plan for my life more than I want my own plan for my life. And when we do that, 
He said, hey, if you're just going to ask and seek and knock, I'm going to open the door and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I died so that you could. That's his word to us through the New Testament scriptures. And I want to look this morning at how does the Holy Spirit empower us to produce flourishing in the world around us. I want to come again to the fact that we as a church, we're going to hold to the scripture. We're people of the word. We're going to, to the best of our ability, follow the scriptures. Where we fall short, we're going to repent and move closer to the scriptures. By the way, we all have room to grow in that. But can I tell you something? If we are going to obey the scriptures morally, we also need to embrace the scriptures practically. Meaning that we should practice what they preach, what these scriptures preach, not just think and allow them to inform a worldview, a biblical worldview without a spirit-led lifestyle is nothing more than the flavor of the day in whatever culture it dominates. Do you realize, I, I, just, I believe that the reason that our culture is uh, philosophically where it is today is because far too many Christians settled for a biblical worldview without biblical practice. We think biblically, but we don't live biblically. We think, yes, love your neighbor. And then we hide from our neighbors. We think, yes, give to the poor. As long as my 401k is going to be super comfortable first. We think these things, and we think, yes, let's pray for the sick. And we've never had a sense of the Spirit's power in our life ever because we've never actually wanted it that bad. I'm saying these things because they're true of my life too. I know how to think biblically. We need to learn how to live biblically. And that's what Paul brings to the first Corinthians. God's speaking through him in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We're gonna look at the first part of that this week, the second part of it next week. And he's bringing some instruction and correction on how they are supposed to engage with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just warn you, the Corinthians were in a little bit different place than we are. The Corinthians, the power was not the problem. The Holy Spirit leading was the problem. They were, they were a little bit of the weird church. And Paul's like bringing some things down. He's like, hey, we gotta, we gotta reel this back in. But in it, he brings some principles and some instructions that are important for us just to understand how the Holy Spirit is meant to work in the church. And so we actually, I believe, need more of the work of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. We need more of these gifts that we're gonna talk about, not less. And we need to lean more into the Holy Spirit and less into what is comfortable and practical according to our world standards. And so I wanna start in 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll look right in the beginning at verse one. Paul says this, he says, now dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. So he opens this section on the gifts of the Spirit saying, hey, I know you've got some questions, and this is important. I don't want you to misunderstand this. This is a big deal to the church being the church. Now, I'm going to have to fast forward a little bit to get through this chapter, but so skip down to verse 4. One of the things he doesn't want us to misunderstand is that there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. And so he's mentioning there, hey, we're all supposed to serve, but we're going to serve in different ways. 
And God's going to work, but he's going to work in different ways through each one of us. And what I want you to know is that the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us are supposed to be, at the same time, us serving and God working. We serve and God works, and the combination is both practical and miraculous. It meets a practical need in a human relationship as we serve one another, and it does a divine, supernatural thing as God works through us. He could do it without us, but since the beginning of time, since he created the world, he relentlessly wants to do his work with us and through us. And he says that they all come from the one spirit of God because he's speaking to a polytheistic culture. They believed in all sorts of gods. And they're like, oh, you have the the spirit of prophecy and you have the spirit of healing and you have the spirit of encouragement and the spirit of serving. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's the Holy Spirit. It's all the same spirit, but he works differently through each one of us. Aren't you thankful that God created your personality uniquely because he wants to do something through you that he can't do through anybody else? Same God, whole variety of children. And so he says this, but then he gives us, I think, the most important verse in the entire chapter in verse seven. He says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Now, this is critical because when God gives power, he wants us to use it differently than our sinful natures want to use it. When we receive power, our sinful natures want us to use it to take care of number one, to do what we want to do with the power. God never gives power just so you can take care of yourself. In fact, God says, it's my job to take care of you. It's your job to take care of other people. And so when he gives us power, whether that's in a role of authority or whether that's in supernatural gifts, he always, God always gives power so that we can serve others. Always. So whatever you have been given, your goal is to serve, not to, not to get. Now, let's talk about these special abilities, these spiritual gifts that he's referencing. And we're going to read down this passage where he lists a bunch of them. And starting in verse 8, he says, To one person the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another person and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. We see other spiritual gifts mentioned in Romans 12. We see in Ephesians 4 a list of kind of spiritual leadership gifts that God gives to the church. And so there's more spiritual gifts than are listed here, but he lists kind of some of the more supernatural ones here that he's trying to get the Corinthians to use in the proper way. And I want to speak to this wide variety of spiritual gifts and kind of explain some of these things. Because some of them, did you read some of them and you're like, ooh, I'd like that one. And other ones you're like, what is that? Why is that even a gift? That's probably the normal experience of anyone reading that list. And Paul's bringing dignity and value to each one while reminding us these are all products of walking with the Holy Spirit. These are all sourced in a prayer relationship through which you speak and listen to God and he speaks and works through you. So the first gift uh, mentioned there is wisdom. 
And really he's talking about the ability to receive a, a wise word from God to help someone make a decision in a difficult situation where there's no real evidence, you did the pros and cons, there's no way to know, and God gives you wisdom to say, take path A, not path B. And so wisdom is the ability to apply biblical truth to really complex situations. How many of you are like, I need somebody like that in my life, like every day? The second gift, special knowledge. Special knowledge is very similar, and both words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and prophecy are all very related. They're all about God revealing something to you that you couldn't know without God revealing it to you. But a special knowledge is knowledge revealed by God to give direction or affirmation to someone in your life. That he's saying, hey, you don't know this and there's no way you could know this, but here's something I want you to know. It's going to impact your decision making, your relationships, something like that. It's very similar to a word of prophecy. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Then he's, he mentions great faith. Now, we all have faith to be saved. That's a, a precursor to being a Christian. But there is a gift of faith, and that gift of faith is the ability to trust God for big things despite the circumstances. That you're faced with a great challenge, or you're in a group of people, or you're, you and your spouse, or you and some friends are trying to make a big decision, you're like, ah, oh, I don't know, I don't know if we should do this, I'm not sure this is a great idea, I'm not sure if we can, I mean, are you sure God's with us in this? And great faith says, yes, God is with us, and we can do it, let's take the leap of faith. And we need people like that in our life too, right? It's that boldness that says, yes, with God's help, we can do it that motivates people to take that leap. The next gift is healing, and that's kind of self-explanatory, but the ability to pray for the sick and see them recover. Now, this is one of those gifts that every believer can be used to pray for healing in someone's life, but there are those that are gifted in such a way that it seems like they just have an uncanny ability that, that like everybody they pray for seems to get healed. Or there's a lot of, lot of pastors that have studied it, and it says the gifts of healing, it's a plural term, and some pastors believe that there are people that have a gift of healing back injuries, and some people seem to, every time they pray for cancer, it gets healed, and, and how God has given gifts of healing to meet the needs of brokenness in humanity. The next gift is prophecy, and we'll see next week that this is an important gift for the church to learn how to use. And prophecy, um, there's a lot of ways to define it, but it's really speaking on God's behalf to encourage, strengthen, and comfort his people in specific situations. It's something that God reveals through the prophet, and often it's in images or stories or dreams, you see this throughout scripture, that often prophets operate and God gives them a, 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 some sort of an image that is meant to be discerned through prayer by the person or community that it's delivered to. And the prophet says, man, I feel like the, the Lord is showing me this and this and this, and I, I'm not even sure what it means, but, but I, I think it might mean this. And then those that receive the gift are responsible to go pray about it and discern whether there's a, an action or a timing or some response involved, or is it God just warning us or showing us or giving us a heads up about something? It's an important gift to learn how to use in the church, and it's how we minister one to another. We'll talk next week more about how to use that gift, but that's one that I've so appreciated. There are those in our church that have used that gift 
very appropriately and, and just in healthy ways and have equipped me for certain seasons of ministry, even in these last couple of years, where it's given me a heads up and through praying about some of those prophetic thoughts or images that they're saying, hey, I feel like the Lord showed me this and wants me to share that with you. It often has resulted in God leading me to a, a sermon series that needs to be preached or a mission forward direction that we need to lean, some of those kinds of things. And that's supposed to happen not just for the pastor, that can happen for all of us in different ways and shapes and forms. Then the next gift is just as important because without, the, without this gift, this is where things can, where people get weird because they're weird, not because the Holy Spirit called them to a place of obedience. The gift of discernment is the ability to know the source and motivation of words or actions. Now, just be careful. Just because you're a really judgy person doesn't mean you have the gift of discernment. <laughs> Right, Just because like everyone's weird to you doesn't mean that that's spiritual discernment. No, it's the sense from the Holy Spirit that like, yeah, yeah, that's from God. Or the sense from the Holy Spirit that like, man, that's a wonderful heart, but I think that's you, not God. Or occasionally, it's that sense of like, that's not the right heart or from God. That's actually manipulative. Right, and we need people that are discerning in the love and the peace of the Holy Spirit, and, and sometimes discernment is just saying to someone who feels like, who has the gift of prophecy, can you imagine if you have the gift of prophecy and God uses you in that way, occasionally you're like, I had this thought and I'm not sure if it's God or me, should I share it with the church or should I share it with the pastor? And you go to someone who has discernment and say, pray about this with me for a little while before I go say, hey, I have a prophecy. Right? We're supposed to lean on each other's gifts and, and trust people enough to say, oh, you know, I, I felt really inspired, but Pastor Shannon, he kind of he felt like, man, that was just Caleb got really excited and had too much caffeine one day. And you know what? I trust Shannon. I know his desire to, to love the Lord. I know his love for me. And so, you know what? I'm going to shut up about this one. Not from the Lord, right? So we learn how to lean on each other. The next one is maybe, maybe to us the weirdest of spiritual gifts. Unknown languages. Um, historically, it's been called the gift of tongues, right? Because the Greek word there is literally tongues. It means languages, right? Different, different tongues, different languages. And so it's the gift of speaking in a language, either a spiritual language, which nobody understands, or an earthly language that you don't understand for personal worship or for prophetic revelation, now, we'll talk a little bit more about the gift of tongues next week, but there's a personal side of it that's meant to be used for just you growing in the Lord and praying when you don't know what to pray and worshiping Jesus in a way that your spirit worships beyond your mind. And then there's a, a corporate way in which you can deliver what is essentially a prophetic message in a language that you don't understand. And this has been used throughout history in mission situations where people have heard something in their language and they're like, that guy only speaks English. How is he speaking my language? And they know it's God. And there's other times where it's a language that nobody understands. It's a spiritual language. And that's where the next gift becomes very important. In fact, so important that if it's not present, you're not supposed to use the other one corporately, only personally. So interpretation is the ability to understand a message in a spiritual language. When you hear someone say something weird that nobody understands and you're like, oh wait, I think I know what that means. Where everybody else is like, what does that even mean? And God uses us to lean on one another. None of these gifts are meant to operate independently of each other. We're meant to need each other, right? <clears throat> and that's why in 1 Corinthians 12, or in 12 verse 12, 
he says this, he kind of sums up this idea. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole, complete, total, healthy body, so it is with the body of Christ. <clears throat> and he goes on to talk about how, <clears throat> excuse me, we need all the gifts. We need everybody in operation. We need, and we can't say, I don't need you. I'm a prophet. And all the discerning people are like, no, you're an idiot with the gift of prophecy, right? We can't say, I have the gift of tongues. Bow to my weirdness. And, and then the interpreters are like, what about my gift over here? He's saying, no, 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 no. You need each other. Get off your high horse. It's not about what you've been gifted. It's about what you're going to do to serve. <clears throat> and so he says in verses, skipping down through that section to verses 25 and 26, he says, this makes for harmony among the members of the body so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And one, if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All the parts are glad when, when one gift is being used, right? And so what that means is that we all have a role to play in God's mission and everyone else needs us to play our role well. You have a role, I have a role, and I need you to play your role well. I need you to do what you're called to do. I need you to discover what the Holy Spirit has for you. Do you know why? Not just so we can build a bigger, better church, it's so that Caleb Bryant can flourish spiritually. And I believe that if I use my gifts well, I'll contribute to you flourishing spiritually. And if we all do it together, our community that does not know Jesus yet will also find flourishing through Jesus, not just for eternity, but for their day-to-day -day lives. But we have to lean in. We have to stop being so independent of God, and we have to become interdependent with God. We have to begin to depend on him and allow him to lead us. And we have to humble ourselves and recognize that God gets to lead. We don't get to choose. And so you skip down to verses, verses uh, 29 and 30, and he's kind of addressing, you know, people hear these spiritual gifts, and they're like, ooh, I want that one. I want to be that. Let me be that. And we, we have a tendency to do that, but he says, are we all apostles? Rhetorical question. Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? We all say, that'd be nice. And he says, of course not. Because if we were all superhuman, we wouldn't need other humans or care about them. He's put us in a position to have the dignity of something to offer, but the vulnerability of something we need. And isn't that beautiful? God has put himself in that position with us and puts us in that position with one another. And so we can be used in any gift at any time. I want you to know the Holy Spirit could use any of these gifts in your life. And he could do it any time. But we often have one or more consistent ways that God uses us. As you begin to walk with the Holy Spirit, you'll notice that he burdens you to pray for healing more often than some of the other things. Or you'll notice that he, he begins to birth in you this desire to share what is personally edifying in your spiritual language with, the, with the, the church as a whole. Or you notice that he begins to give you these images prophetically. They're not for you. They're for someone else. You'll notice that he begins to give you these words of wisdom. You're like, hey, I, I'm not super smart, but I feel like God's given me the answer for your situation. Right? We begin to notice these trends of how God 
Use us, and there's other gifts as well I want to mention. There's giving, serving, encouragement, administration, leadership, these other gifts that God uses. And if you go into the Old Testament, you see all sorts of other spiritual gifts he gives to people. But this is the important part. In verse 31, he says, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. You're not supposed to be afraid of them. You're supposed to want them. You're not supposed to avoid them. You're supposed to seek them. We, we should ask God to use us in amazing ways to help other people experience him. We should ask him to use us. We should be like, God, in this season where so many people are sick, I'm like, God, would you please give the gift of healing to our church? We need some healing. Our community needs healing. God, give us the gift of healing. I don't care if it's me. I don't care who it is. We need the gift of healing. Now, that starts with us praying for healing. And then God's like, I'll use you today. I'll use you tomorrow. I'll use you. But I'm going to use you every time you pray for healing. Because our community needs it. Do you know I pray that God blesses this church with the gift of evangelism because we need to figure out how to share the good news of Jesus with our community better. I pray for God to give our community spiritual gifts, but do you know what I pray for? it. I have to be open to God using me in that way. I'm like, okay, God, if you lead me to pray for a sick person, I will do that. If you lead me to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus, I will do that. If you lead me to give a message in tongues, I will do that. I, Lord, help me to do it well, but your church needs these gifts. He says, earnestly desire these gifts so that you can help other people. But there is one more piece of it. You notice in verse 31, he says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Because like we talked about in the beginning, you can have power, but if you don't use power well, it's dangerous. And so he goes on in 1 Corinthians 13, and we love to read this passage at weddings, and you know, Paul never wrote it for weddings. He wrote it to tell people how to use power in their life. And so he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, that's those unknown languages, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. No thank you. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such a faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, those are the spiritual gifts of giving and serving, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is the reason we seek spiritual gifts and love is the way that we are meant to deliver spiritual gifts. Love has to be the motive behind all of it. Our way of life matters so much more than any gifts we possess or any impact that we have in life. It's the heart, it's the motives behind it that matter so much. And that's so often, we, we do one or the other. We either want the power or we have the right heart and they're not, they're not mutually exclusive. They're meant to walk in step with each other. And so often we get hijacked on one side or another. We either don't have faith for the power or we don't have the heart discipline and the humility to love. And the, and the Lord is calling us church back to be right in both areas. He's calling us to love people enough 
to actually want spiritual gifts so that we can deliver them more than a human word of encouragement. Have you ever been in that situation where you're like, man, all I have is my really empty words? Holy Spirit wants to fill your words and speak right to the hearts of people. So we need to love people more than we do. We have a tendency to only want the power of God when we are desperate. But the desperation of our world should move us to want the power of God. And can I tell you, sometimes we might even love people enough, but do we love God enough to be obedient to him? Do we love God enough to want him to work through us? Or are we so comfortable where we're at that we're like, hey God, I would love for you to work through one of our pastors. I would love for you to work through my small group leader. I would love for you to work through this person or that person in my life. I would love for you to do something amazing, but I'm super comfortable, so please, please don't use me. And often we approach truths like this in those very generic ways, and I think that the, the, I really think that the future of the church rests on believers who are willing to seek God for both his character and his power. Not one or the other, both. And I want to ask you that this morning. Do you love people enough that you want God to move powerfully through your life? Because he will. Jesus said, he's a good father, can't wait to give you the gift. And do you love God enough that you want to be available to him? He does not work apart from us very often. He's saying, I want to use my people. I want to use my sons and my daughters. I want to work with you, not apart from you. I've given you everything you need. You need. I have an eternity in store for you. Let me work with you. Do you love him enough that you're available? That you're available to him? That's the heart that he's looking for. I want to challenge you as we move towards Renew Conference, and Renew Conference is just a couple days. The last thing I want is God to do a bunch of miracles at Renew Conference, and then we don't see it again until next year at Renew Conference. Now, Renew Conference is meant to teach us how to walk in the Spirit every day so that at your workplace you can pray for a coworker, and that coworker will be like, I thought you were just weird, and I felt uncomfortable telling you you couldn't pray for me, but then God answered your prayer! And you're like, shocked in your head, but then you're like, yeah, because God's good and he loves you and he wants you to know him and he wants to work through you too. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so we hunger and thirst for him. And I want to challenge you over these next couple of weeks, I want to challenge you to take some time every day. Take a minimum of five minutes a day and ask God to give you his heart for others and his gifts to serve them. Can you do that? Are you willing to do that to really say, God, do whatever it takes to put your heart inside of me. Wreck me. Remove the selfishness. Remove the pride. Remove the arrogance. Remove the hardness of heart and the stubbornness and the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the pain, all these other things that I use as an excuse to not really want to love other people. And will you ask him to give you his gifts so that you can serve other people? You ask him, God, I'm not sure what spiritual gifts you have in mind for me.
that's your call, but I want you to use me. I want you to use me. You know, I know there are people that have been sitting in church for decades and you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, and that's okay. This isn't meant to feel, make any of us feel guilty. It's meant to invite us into a part of life that often we go on living without. And God's saying there's more for you. There's others, and maybe you're you know, not even sure you're following Jesus yet, and I just want you to know, you're not excluded. Jesus died so that you could be a part of this. It's the hope of the world. We are God's vessels to bring hope to the world. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you just recognizing that so often, so often, our own personal comforts come first on our list of priorities and so easy for us to slip into. I know you've already forgiven us for it, but we just acknowledge that we need you to forgive us, to change us, to heal us. We acknowledge that we need you to open our hearts. We acknowledge that there's a history full of churches that have walked in the Holy Spirit, but there's a history full of probably more churches that have not. But we want to be your church. We want to be your people. And Father, I do pray that you would do the work in our hearts, that you would heal the wounds that only you can heal, that you would help us to forgive things that we can't forgive on our own, that you would help us to repent of pride and selfishness keeps us focused on ourselves. Would you help us, Father? And we pray that you would do a work in us and through us. Lord, that would not fix our eyes on the supernatural, but would fix our eyes on you. Do a work in us and through us that consumes our hearts with what consumes your heart. I pray, Lord, that our focus would not be on power or gifts, but our focus would be on the ability to minister alongside you to a world in need. Use us, Lord, to bring hope to our families, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. Use us to bring hope to those around us that don't have it. Solidify in our hearts the hope that we have in Jesus and help us to give it to others. Thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.